Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Should American monuments only be dedicated to one side of the story? Well, I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Of course, you can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. Also, click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com or the heart button under this video. You can throw a few pennies my way if you're watching on YouTube or at my website. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. And comment on YouTube for the algorithm. That also helps boost it up the list a little bit. More people will see it. And send me those show requests. I want to see what you want to hear. This is an interactive show in many ways. So, this is actually a listener-generated episode. Somebody sent this to me. And it's from R. Emmett Terrell, who is the founder of American Spectator. And it's an interesting piece um, for several reasons. I can already anticipate what the woke, righteous cause mythologist would say about the, the title of this piece and the arguments made in it. So the title is The Civil War I Grew Up With. Now the monuments to only one side remain. Now, first of all, they would say, well, that's not true. There are lots of Confederate monuments out there. We haven't torn them all down, but we need to. And the Civil War you grew up with was dominated by the lost causers. They dominated the history of the, of the period. They, they were lying the whole time. You didn't learn the right side of the story. You didn't learn the truth. This is you know, Ty Sigerly's position. This is, I grew up with believing Lee was a great man, but then I read and I found out he wasn't. So that's going to be the argument they come back with. Also, the argument is going to be, of course, well, uh, do we have monuments to Tories in the American War for Independence? Do we have a monument to George III anywhere? Do we have any of this kind of stuff? Uh, because, you know, that would be saying that we have, you know, more than one side. And just, uh, you know, we had, we had Americans who were siding with the, with the British. Do we have monuments to those who supported uh, Germany in World War I or Germany in World War II? Do we have any monuments up to uh, those who um, supported the, the Japanese in World War II, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, these are going to be the kind of, of arguments they make. Do we have monuments to the North Vietnamese or the North Koreans? Should we have monuments to these people? Now, of course, in that particular situation, we're talking about foreign entities. But the one that would be most accurate, of course, would be the American War for Independence. There were certainly Americans who did not favor independence from 1775 to 1783. Some of them left the United States. Others stayed here. And uh, 
They had their land, their property confiscated. They faced a pretty hard period of time after the war was over, and there was a lot of discussion about that in the founding generation. But we don't have monuments to them, so why should we have monuments to those traitors? Because those people were traitors. Why do we have monuments to the traitors in the Confederacy? These are the arguments they're going to make. Now, you, of course, could say that, I think, conclusively argue there was no treason for the South in the war. That, that wasn't treason. It was a constitutional question that still has not been settled, as I've talked about a lot quite recently on this show. The constitutional argument has never been settled. You don't settle a, a legal argument through bayonets and bullets. Jefferson even made this clear a long time ago. You don't settle that kind of legal argument. You see, even in the American War for Independence, there was a peace treaty between the United States, the states themselves, and the empire that granted them independence. There was a treaty. In this particular situation, there was no treaty. It was just the one side saying, well, you couldn't do that. And then the Supreme Court coming in and saying, yeah, you couldn't do that unless we say you can do it when we kick you out of the Union then bring you back in. That's the only time we can do this. You see, but there's but that was a, an argument that was essentially based on Lincoln's arguments early in the war. I mean, the decision by the Supreme Court and Samuel Chase, uh, Salmon Chase, I'm sorry, was, was based on Lincoln's arguments early in the war. It, it wasn't even a, a legal argument, really. It was Lincoln making a great discovery about the indissolubility of the Union. That was it. There was no legal backing for that. It's very much like uh, John Marshall's arguments in McCulloch v. Maryland. He basically just regurgitated Alexander Hamilton and his arguments for the Bank of the United States in 1791. That's all he did. He didn't use any kind of, of uh, originalist justification for that. He didn't go out and look at the ratification debates, which, of course, hadn't been published yet. But uh, regardless, he was there. He knew what people said. And yet, he just relies on Alexander Hamilton. So, I mean, these kind of arguments are, are uh, interesting in that they're just completely false. There's no other way to describe it. It's not lost cause mythology. It's looking at the argument objectively. And there are some legal scholars now who are doing this. You see, the righteous cause mythologists are just regurgitating whatever the Republican Party said in the 1860s. And that's it. And they're saying that is, that is the true history of the conflict. Well, why can't people say that about the Southern side? No, no, no. That's just lost cause mythology. You can't say that. But you can say it about the other side. Now, I will say this about this piece from uh, Terrell. He says some things at the end that are just kind of silly. I mean, if, if you're going to make the arguments that he makes in this piece, well, then why wouldn't you just have monuments to one side? I mean, if, if, this, is, if this is how we view the war as this great revolutionary period, and we did away with uh, just tremendous evil in America, why wouldn't we have monuments to just one side? And I think that's that's the radical Republican position, and that's the righteous cause position. That's the now dominant position in the historical profession. I always laugh at these things. This is a new, we have new findings out there, like uh, this book by Matthew Carp on John C. Calhoun. Uh, new extensive research into these things. He discovers that Calhoun really wasn't that much of an anti-imperialist. He really was in favor of expansion and slaveocracy and slave power. That these were just things he was... Basically, he's dusting off the slave power thesis, right? I mean, that's all that's happened. You go back... when I, when I If you missed out on my McClanahan Academy live classes, you really missed out on something. But And I'll have another one, this uh, maybe one or two more this year, but... Um, the one that we did last year where we talked about the historiography of the war, and you go back 
and you look at the early histories of the war, and basically all they're doing is uh, defending the positions that were that were made before the war, right? I mean, the the North, the Northern historians are simply just defending the things they said about the South before the war, and Southerners are defending what they said about the sectional conflict before the war. And so if we're going to we're going to go back. I mean, nothing new has been said about the war ever. Really ever. There's not really much you can say about the war and the causes of the war that wasn't said in the 1850s or the 1840s or the 1830s. I mean, there's nothing there. Uh, I don't, you just can't find much that's new. And so all these people are doing is just going back and regurgitating some stuff that had been said after the war was over and saying, this is true. This is true. It's just silly. So in that way, we only have one side of the story. We have one side. And Terrell's asking, is that what we should have? Just one side. In, a, in an event so cataclysmic, so shocking, should we only have one side of the story? Does the other side have value and should it still be there? When you had thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans engaged in this, should they be respected and honored in a way that doesn't just call them traitors and devils? And essentially, again, that's the argument that was made by the North during the war and even before the war. So is that what, is that what we should do? Even after the war, you had, you had Northerners saying some of that stuff. It was only later in the, uh, in the 1880s and 90s that you had some of these things changing, not for everyone, but uh, overall, in the, in the overall perspective of American history, that's when you started seeing some of these things change in the 1880s and 90s and the early 1900s. Now look, it was Teddy Roosevelt who had uh, Southern blood that was able to get all of the confiscated Confederate flags returned back to the South. He was the one who was able to do it. Grover Cleveland tried, and he couldn't because there was such pushback from the Grand Army of the Republic but of course, Cleveland also knew that these people were corrupt, that they were just, I mean, soaking the United States government, the taxpayers, for money they didn't need. This was the pension fiasco and how they were all trying to get pensions for things like diarrhea that happened 20 years after the war was over. So uh, it was tremendous corruption from the Republican Party. Is that the same Republican Party you, you dopes, the righteous cause mythologists want to champion? That kind of stuff? Because that's what they were doing. This is all about power again. It's all about money. And, um, you know, there, it, look, there were people that were right-minded in this that saw the entire conflict as a real tragedy uh, that didn't necessarily have to happen. Um, the, those that were critical of Lincoln's actions were correct. Lincoln didn't have to inaugurate a war. There could have been a negotiated truce to this. And only seven states would have left the Union, and maybe they would have come back. Who knows? But if you're an abolitionist, wouldn't that be what you want? No. I mean, that's what they pushed for for so many years. There would have still been slave states in the Union. We still would have had a slaveholding United States. That wouldn't have gone away. If the Deep South is able to leave the Union, this is something that the righteous cause mythologists don't recognize. If the Deep South is able to go and Lincoln doesn't, doesn't decide to, to supply Sumter and he sells it and, and negotiates with the Deep South, there are still, at that point, Eight slave states in the Union. Eight. 
the United States still would have been a slaveholding federal republic. And it would have taken a monumental effort, I think, on the part of the general government to eliminate slavery in those states. Meaning they would have had to had a constitutional amendment to do it. Now, maybe they could have. Uh, you would have had to have you know, the, the threshold met. And I'm not certain if they could have had that. Because I think even some of the northern states would have been uh, reluctant to pass an amendment that would have done that. But maybe it would have happened. Who knows? Um, so the abolitionists wouldn't really have gotten their way, that slavery still would have existed, but they could have blocked it in the territories, which is what they were trying to do. The South wouldn't have access to those. The Deep South might have looked to South America, maybe, to expand slavery. Who knows? Or expand their, their confederation into places like Cuba or some other parts of South America. That might have happened. I don't know. Maybe they would have negotiated to purchase Cuba from the Spanish at that point. Who knows? But the fact is... Um, Slavery would have been in both the United States and the Confederate States. They both would have been slaveholding republics. And they were, even throughout the entirety of the war, they were both slaveholding federal republics. At least, that's what they were in theory. Now, Lincoln is going to uh, destroy that federal republic of the United States. But regardless, that's what it was at least then. So I'm going to read this little piece. It's not long. It's a pretty short piece. And he says, with all the talk about the discovery of mass burial graves in faraway Ukraine, there is little thought of such graves being discovered here in America. Yet in recent weeks, archaeologists have found their own mass grave in bucolic Williamsburg, Virginia. It is a graveyard that they believe is associated with the Civil War's Battle of Williamsburg, fought in 1862. There in the peaceful soil of Williamsburg, the remains of hundreds, perhaps thousands, of soldiers lie buried. Some wore the gray of the Confederacy, some wore the blue of the Union. Now they all lie in a recently discovered pell-mell heap to be disentangled by authorities armed with DNA in the hope of returning the dead to their respective states. Now there are other mass graves. I mean, there's actually a monument, a Confederate monument, to a mass grave in Chicago. These are the people that died at Camp Douglas and were just buried in a big pit. These are Confederate prisoners of war who were starved to death, literally, frozen to death, literally, because they weren't provided adequate food and clothing. On purpose, it was willful mistreatment of prisoners that would, would have been considered war crimes today. Had this happened in, say, the 1940s, there would have been all kinds of, of, of trials, Nuremberg-style trials held for the people that willfully starved and froze to death Confederate prisoners of war. But none of that happened. All we ever hear about is Andersonville. Andersonville, Andersonville. But even William C. Davis, who's, I mean, he writes about the South, but he's no neo-Confederate, has said, yeah, well, when you look at Andersonville, um, those people that were being, of course, starved and had horrible conditions in Andersonville, the, the, the guards had the same conditions. It's not like they had things that the prisoners didn't have. They were being starved as well. I mean, look, the South was basically being starved out but not in Chicago. And you had civilians thrown into prison in Chicago and died in dungeons there at Camp Douglas, those that were essentially against the Union government in Chicago. Now, Camp Douglas is where the University of Chicago is now. The, the best book on this is a book by a man named Levy, To Die in Chicago. And uh, surprisingly, the History Channel actually did a documentary on it uh, years ago uh, 80 Acres of Hell is the title of the document of the docu uh, documentary uh, study of it. 
And it's very anti-Lincoln, very anti-Union. I'm surprised the History Channel did it, but it's, it's really good. 80 Acres of Hell is the title of it, and it's based on that Levy book. Levy is a, is a, a uh, northern Chicago resident, and he wrote this book about uh, the horrible conditions and what people faced in Chicago. It's really good. But, of course, um, you don't really hear about this as much. Uh, you don't hear about abuse of prisoners at places like Fort Delaware and Fort Lafayette and others. I mean, but they were out there. I mean, con Confederates wrote about it. And, of course, now modern historians will say, well, that was exaggerated. It really wasn't. I've seen the letters in, in uh, archives in Wilmington from, civili from civilian citizens of Wilmington petitioning the United States government to get food to these people and asking to bring them, to bring them blankets and food and other things and being denied. I've seen it. Uh, so it was, again, willful mistreatment of prisoners. It was done on purpose. Whereas that wasn't the case in the South, uh, in, any, in any situation. Elmira, New York, all these horrible places that these Confederate prisoners were. And of course, I, get, I talk about this with mass graves, uh, that there's a mass grave and a Confederate monument in uh, Oakland, I think it's yeah, Oakland Cemetery in Chicago. Uh, it's, it was a, it's a beautiful monument. And it was put there to honor the dead. And it was actually, the dedication ceremony was attended by Grover Cleveland and his entire cabinet, including his black minister to Liberia. He was also there. And uh, nobody had a problem with that. It was funded by some pretty major uh, northern philanthropists and businessmen. And there was a real reconciliation. You had northern and confederate uh, veterans there and dedicating it. Again, we miss this stuff. Why? Because, well, the righteous cause. You see? So he says, The Confederate forces fought the oncoming Union army to end the Union's advance on the Confederacy capital, Richmond. The Confederates pulled back, but the Union too retreated. Also, both sides contributed to a general casualty list that amounted to 3,800 killed and wounded. The battle must have been somewhat like the bloody Second Battle of Manassas, in which both armies lunged at each other, bayonets unsheathed, rifles being fired at point-blank range, Somehow a fire broke out, engulfing both forces. It must have been a horrid conflict. Yet, if the Union was to be saved, the war had to be fought. And for the ultimate integrity of our democracy, the North had to win. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that Terrell says is just kind of... It's almost righteous cause mythology, but yet he wants to honor. It's kind of like um, what was being said in, in the 1880s and 90s, even in the early 20th century, from... Grand Arm of the Republic people. Well, I mean, the war had to be fought to save the Union, and we had to save democracy. Well, what's different from a bunch of dopes on the left saying these things? This is where I caution conservatives for this kind of stuff. There was another path that is often ignored. The American Spectator is a, is a fun magazine. I mean, I, I used to subscribe to it years ago. It's a fun magazine, particularly when Clinton was in office. They had some really good anti-Clinton pieces, but... Um, and, and Terrell has written some, some funny stuff over the years. But again, um, it's uh, this, this kind of language you would find more on the left. So why do conservatives engage in it? Because you're just, you're just essentially bowing to the other side. He says, Now the greatness of President Abraham Lincoln is being questioned by little figures who will never be heard from again. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, the greatness of Abraham Lincoln should be questioned. We talked about that this week on this show. Uh, I've mentioned it many times. Little figures are never heard from again. Well, I mean, that's not necessarily true. Tom DiLorenzo is heard from all the time. 
In fact, Regnery uh, just published a book just a couple of years ago on Lincoln. And, I mean, so that's the conservative press publishing an anti-Lincoln book. It's not lefties that question the greatness of Lincoln. It's people on the right who question the greatness of Lincoln, too. And they should. In fact, what's really amazing about that is conservatives in the 1860s questioned the greatness of Lincoln. It's only dopes on the left that champion Lincoln. And we know this because they called, the Republicans called the other side conservatives. That's what they called them. The conservatives were the ones who were questioning Lincoln's actions during the war. Again, if you take my Radical Republicans class at McClanahan Academy, you're going to find that out. He says, the greatness of General Ulysses S. Grant has already been questioned by his puny critics whose knowledge of the Civil War is utterly passé. <laughs> Again, this kind of stuff is just funny to me. Um, already been questioned? It, look, the greatness of Grant has been questioned since the war. Uh, and now you have this, this effort. See, this is where I, I question what, what uh, Terrell's doing here. You have people on the left really... Uh, questioning Lee and then pushing Grant as the better general. This is something that's coming from the left, not the right. Uh, I mean, the lefties are, are the ones that are promoting Grant. So is Terrell a leftist? The conser conservatives have often been very critical of Grant and the Republican Party, rightfully so, and uh, the, the actions that Grant took. What, again, this is this is historically the way it has been. Not the not the the, le the left have been the ones who were the promoting Grant. I wouldn't say the people that cri that criticize Grant their their knowledge is utterly passe. I mean, to say these things is just to flippantly de deny or um, you know, that these people have any kind of knowledge whatsoever. It's just not true. Both men save the Union. Had they not won, we modern-day Americans might well be speaking German today. That's not true. <laughs> Why would that be? Because you're saying that uh, we would have lost World War I or lost World War II. The Germans in World War I weren't looking at some kind of international Reich. That might have been World War II, but I'm not so certain Hitler would have had the ability to pull off invading and conquering the United States or the South had they been two separate republics or one national government and one federal republic. He wouldn't have had that, that ability to do that. This is just a stupid argument. I mean, it really is stupid. Even more ghastly, he might be speaking President Vladimir Putin's language. Oh, yeah. I mean, because if we had a confederacy and, a, and an independent United States, Vladimir Putin would have invaded, or better yet, the communists would have come over and taken over. Because we see how easy, how good their army is in trying to uh, win in Ukraine. We see how dangerous the Russian army is. I remember um, years ago, this is back in the early 2000s, there was a, a, someone who posted on social media. He didn't use his real name, but he was a, a high-ranking, and I know that this was real because I knew somebody that knew him. He was a high-ranking officer in the United States military, and he posted a lot on social media about how bad the Russian army actually was. He had all this bluff and bluster, but they were really sorry. He talked about it. He said, there's no way these people can even do anything. And we're seeing it, right? Yeah, so I'm sure that that would have happened. This kind of, you know, fantasy, it's just ridiculous to say. So if we had 
uh, not we have not had the war, and somehow the South was to remain independent. Seven states. Remember, it's only seven states when Lincoln decided to supply Sumter, and then South Carolina fires on Sumter and Pickens as well, and Florida decides to fire on Pickens. At that point, we only had seven states out of the Union, and only because Lincoln calls up 75,000 troops do we get the other states to leave the Union. That was it. Those, Virginia wasn't going to accept coercion of these states. So that's the only reason. I mean, you're saying that the United States would not have been powerful enough without seven states to resist the Germans or the Russians? Give me a break. Now, I, I do think that you wouldn't have had um, a large number of good fighting men out of the South. I mean, that's and we know Southerners have joined up in the United States military at higher numbers, higher percentages than anywhere else, so you wouldn't have had that, perhaps. But um, who's to say the, that they wouldn't have sided with the United States in this? I mean, it's just silly to think this is uh, this would have happened. It's It's all just fantasy. The Civil War is one war that all Americans should agree on. It had to be fought and won. God bless old Abe and the memory of U.S. Grant. No, it didn't have to be fought and won. We shouldn't bless old Abe and old Grant. No, not at all. We shouldn't do any of those things. The war didn't have to be fought. But then he gets to the monuments. He says, now, however, the monuments to only one side remain, and many of the ignoramuses who are tearing down monuments have their eyes, too, on union leaders whose reputations they sully with the slander of racism. Well, this is true, right? And who has been saying this since all this stupidity started, even in 2000, right? You go back to 2000. You go back to the 1990s when some of these things started. But really in 2000, when you see the efforts in South Carolina to take the flag from the dome and, and put it somewhere else, there was a compromise. It goes to the soldiers' monument there. Who didn't, who, people were saying, we do this now, it's just the start. Well, then we get we go a little over a decade, and of course we have the moron Dylan Roof do stupid things, and now supposedly Confederate symbols and monuments are the cause of all this stuff. So now we got to take all that stuff down, and then of course we have the Summer of Love in 2020, and now we got to take more down because we know if we take these monuments down, crime is going to go down, uh, things are going to get better, we're going to have better students and schools and everything else. Of course, none of that happened. It's all just a, a joke. It's all just a joke. Uh, so, yes, there was, I mean, we've said from the beginning, you take those Confederate monuments down, the next thing that happens is you take down Union monuments, and you take down monuments of the Founding Fathers. All this happened. And yes, Lincoln was racist, and so were a lot of other people that were fighting for the Union. In fact, there were slaveholders fighting for the Union. There was racism, too, to be sure, on both sides in times past, and there were other forms of intolerance, religious intolerance, ethnic intolerance, and intolerance of immigrants, for instance. Today, intolerance is still around, but it is being taught in the nation's classrooms. There, intolerance is being taught under the guise of progressivism, with perfume words such as diversity, equity, and inclusion. Intolerance, apparently, you always have with you. And, I mean, look, I agree with this. I mean, this is why we shouldn't even talk about these things in the past. And you know, So what? It was there. Who cares? It's, a, it's, it's, it's there, you can mention it, but it's not something that we should focus on entirely and focus entire courses on. We're going to have this, you know, this uh, you know, uh, period where we have lament and bow our heads and all these other things. It was there. It was just part of it. Do we, do we teach this when we talk about Rome or Greece? No, we don't. We just talk about Rome and Greece. 
He says, I do not know whose side of your, your family took in the Civil War, but my family lived in the North, and they sided with the Union. My great-great-grandfather was the head of the Secret Service in Chicago. He broke the plot to steal Lincoln's body from, the, from its crypt in Springfield, Illinois in 1876. His son, my great-grandfather, saw to it that his family fought the Civil War in our household until well after World War II. There was no Bosch talk about the South's lost cause in the, in the Terrell household. There was also no talk of tearing down statues to Robert E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson, or much less the lone Southern soldier standing in the street near my home in Alexandria and looking to the South, looking to Richmond. That atrocity took place just a few years ago, and he's correct about that. You had a bunch of, uh, of Union veterans who wouldn't talk about tearing these things down. They put up their own monuments, the South put up theirs, and that was it. And you look at most of the Confederate monuments, and they are monuments of mourning. But these are the things that the idiots want to tear down. Again, we predicted all of this. He says, My grandfathers hated the Civil War, but they honored the bravery of the soldiers that fought in it. None would desecrate those soldiers, especially the soldiers of the North. The statues being torn down were part of American history. By tearing them down, you diminish the greatness of that history. The peril that black Americans face with the whole states pitted against them is lost. The greatness of Lincoln and Grant is lost. The bravery of the senators, congressmen, and governors who stake their careers on opposing slavery and opting for war to save the Union is lost. It was an air of greatness, and now some pipsqueaks are going to erase it. I say balderdash. Now, I would say his argument there at the end is pretty weak because the righteous cause mythologists say, no, 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 it's not lost. In fact, by tearing these things down, you elevate all this other stuff. We should have union, union monuments all over the place. We should put union monuments in Alabama. We should put union monuments in South Carolina. In fact, they've done it. There's a monument to William T. Uh, Sherman in Columbia, South Carolina, on the bridge that's going into the city because that's where, of course, they lobbed cannonballs into the courthouse, into the, into the state house. I'm sorry, right there and in Columbia. They've done it. They're starting to do these kind of things. Because you see, you take down the Confederate monuments because, because those are monuments of dissidents. Those are monuments to people who opposed the righteous cause mythology, who opposed extreme centralization, who opposed all these things. If you leave them there, they are symbols of defiance to what the left wants. Politically. They're symbols of defiance. And you know what? If you want to go out and read the, the, the dedication speeches, that's what you're going to see more than anything else. And also symbols of dead soldiers and memory of those soldiers. But in, the, in many of the monuments, they inscribed what they thought the war was about, the sovereignty of the states, the original constitution, the ability of a state to leave the union, self-determination, self-government. These are the things that they thought the war was about. And by leaving them there, all of the wacko leftists, the progressives who don't like any of that stuff because they really don't, are tearing down those kind of things. That's why they're doing it. So this last paragraph where he says, you know, if we, if we uh, tear down these monuments, we're tearing down all this stuff, they would say, no, no, that's not true. We're, we're actually elevating all those things by tearing down these monuments. All right. Well, this was a piece that someone sent to me. There were some pretty funny things in it that I thought were just ridiculous, but at least some conservatives are starting to you know, squawk about tearing down Confederate monuments. They should have been squawking about it a long time ago and not waiting till now uh, and saying, well, I mean, my gosh, we, we can't do this stuff. We can't tear these things down. Well, where were you, you know, 10 years ago when this whole process started almost? 
I don't know. Uh, nowhere to be found, really. I mean, hiding for cover, I guess. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.